Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 62 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray, and what matters on this episode is golf in Scotland, and more specifically, the podcast that is devoted to it. Those among you who are fans of golf course architecture and discussion of the world's great courses are likely already familiar with the simply titled Scottish Golf Podcast. It's our pleasure today to be chatting with the show's founder and host, Rue McDonald. Rue's passionate about the game in his home country. Each week produces an episode of the show to discuss all things golf in Scotland, be it the world-famous courses or tips and stories about travelling to the home of the game. We'll bring her in in just a second, but before that, let me introduce my co-host, as always, from the US, writer, critic, blogger, Golf Channel regular, two-time guest on the Scottish Golf Podcast, Jeff Shackelford. <laughs> Jeff, it's going to be nice to catch up with Rue again for you today and for the first time for me. It is, and Rue also really helps with our uh, our advertisers and showing that we, we are reaching out to a younger demographic. I think he's our youngest guest yet, I believe, Ooh, if I'm not mistaken. Know. Don't even know. Yeah. See, is. that's Rod. you got to think about the advertisers, please. <laughs> Our chance of getting advertisers died with Clates on the first episode. We won't go into that just here. Here in Australia, forming touring pro turned architect. I just mentioned his name, analyst and columnist Mike Clayton. Clates, chatting about golf in Scotland, great way to start any day. I'm sure you're looking forward to it, as am I. Yeah, I was there this year at the Open and the Women's Open, and I love it over there. It's brilliant. The best place in the world to play, unless it's England. You're the only golf nut I know who will walk around golf courses without clubs and be just as happy as if you were playing the game. Finally, but most importantly, to our guest this week, host of the Scottish Golf Podcast, Rue McDonald. Rue, it is great to have you aboard. Thanks for taking the time. And can you please start by telling me how old you are? I don't like Shaq having one up on me. Hi, guys. Great to be on. Uh, Yeah, pretty young here, 24. So uh, definitely millennial. So... uh, I'm looking forward to talking about talking about Scottish golf travel. Obviously, we're all passionate about it, and um, obviously the state of the game. So, absolutely, we'll uh, we'll delve into many talks. I think I remember twenty four vaguely, Jeff. Not that well. Um, it was a long time ago. So, mm, <laughs> I yeah. think you're right. I think I think Rue's definitely going to be our youngest. He may be our youngest guest by ten years, oh, but com- comfortably yeah. decades in it, no doubt about that. Rue, let's start with. I just can you give us a thumbnail sketch? Uh, I found your podcast via Jeff. Uh, on his website, which has been a great vehicle for our podcast as well to sort of reach people. Give us a thumbnail sketch of the origins and, and the thinking behind starting the Scottish Golf Podcast. Well, I'd worked in the industry a little bit uh, from my home club, Crude Bay, so that was a good place to start. Uh, I grew up playing junior golf there and was sort of aware of the amount of visitors that came to, to Crude Bay and uh, was, wasn't aware of kind of what that meant for... I guess what Crew Bay means for the game. So as I obviously became older and wiser uh, to to a degree, and went through university studying communications and PR, um, kind of tourism and golf came together, and and I guess the real interest for me is seeing uh, people come to Scotland and enjoy the home of golf. And uh, and it was really the being a teenager in Crew Bay and trying to figure out why Australians and Americans and Canadians and golfers around the world found such interest in Crude Bay and Lynx Golf and uh, that was really the catalyst for becoming passionate and interested in uh, Scottish golf tourism which uh, the podcast is a vehicle of so. It's funny isn't it we suffer from the same thing here in Australia you live in Australia all your life you never go and see the things that people travel all the way around the world to come and look at in Australia we take them for granted it's a bit the same isn't it what's in your backyard is often what you don't appreciate until you really start to look and think about it. Yeah, and uh, 
you know, I still am shocked by the amount of golfers that that Cork Crewden Bay is their favourite golf course in the world. I I'm lucky to play that every Saturday morning, uh, and I know Jeff's a big fan, and I don't know if, if Mike's made it up to the northeast there, but uh, but you know, like an extension to that is obviously working and playing other golf courses and learning about the history of these courses and the stories of these courses, and then um, the benefits that they have for the the local economy as well. So. Um, you know, Scotland is lucky; it's the home of golf, but it still has to battle against, um, I guess, the uh, complacency in part by people in the industry who just assume that people will come to Scotland. It's there's still an effort to be had there, and hopefully the podcast helps uh, incentivise a few others to to make the trip. Does Scotland, in a way, Rue, perhaps suffer from something that we do a bit here in Australia, where the business model of golf has been a club-based system rather than a business-based system? It's not hard to find all sorts of packages, even from Australia, to go to America and play golf at all sorts of places. But Scotland probably hasn't promoted itself in that same way. Some individual clubs have. Is, is that a fair assessment, perhaps, of, of how it's worked in Scotland previously? Yeah, well, we'll try to tell a, a club secretary what a podcast is <laughs> and get a few funny looks. But, yeah, just generally, they're, they're not run as businesses. And you still have uh, that problem with some clubs, you know, some of the traditional clubs. Uh, and remember, Scotland, uh, if I look at that symbolic images of golf tourism, you've got the old course in Andrews, and that clogs up a lot of people. If you can't get a tea time at the old course, they're, they're kind of reluctant to make the trip over. So, mm. Whereas, you know, Irish golf tourism benefits from having and a number of similar uh, good quality links golf courses and not that one big name that Scotland might have. So, And how's the podcast been received then, Rue, both from listeners, but I suppose more importantly from the industry within Scotland because what you're essentially trying to do is help them to help themselves, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's is, it is probably targeting more towards the golfer and the consumer, the traveller. Uh, certainly, I think golf courses and hotels and uh, other tourism uh, businesses like to hear positive things and uh, I'm sure you know from listening that people are very open and coming forward and sharing their positive experiences and uh, I think it's been beneficial in, in that regard and everyone's really supportive. Actually, it's, a, it's the Scottish Golf Awards uh, this coming Friday and, uh, in St Andrews and um, there'll be lots of people there that obviously have benefited from the podcast, I hope, and um, certainly um, no plans to stop. No, well, I hope not because it's a wonderfully uh, honest and open uh, – it's a great thing to listen to because essentially what you have is just, for the most part, uh, ordinary everyday golfers talking about their experiences in Scotland, predominantly from overseas, not, not local Scottish golfers, but people who come and what they actually experience on the ground, not something that you might read in a brochure or a marketing uh, flyer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then you've got obviously the the A A list celebrities like Jeff who come on once in a while and oh, and dear. talk about their, their fancy trips around Scotland. You know, <laughs> three weeks in Scotland for a summer uh, on expenses. A <laughs> listed Jeff. I've never used that in your intro, but uh, I, uh, wisely, I might from now. Now on, just a nigga. You've been on Rue's show, and in fact, as I said, I discovered it via your website. Tell us how you found Scottish Golf Podcast and what uh, what you think it does in terms of sort of uh, educating golfers about the joy that is golf in Scotland. I think I found Rue through the usual kind of social media stuff, and he may have. Um, I can't. I did. Did somebody? Uh, did John? Uh, anyway, I can't remember who introduced us, but uh, I love the show because he. 
Well, Rue One is is just thinking of of the the experience and the person who's making the trip. And so, you, but I love that he has the variety of topics, um, the variety of ways of looking at at Scottish golf and planning a trip. And, and then, obviously, I uh, uh, agree with his point of view that uh, while tour operators certainly provide a certain service to certain people, that you can have a more economical, enjoyable, interesting trip. Uh, with a little more work, for sure, but um, uh, you know, he and then and now with uh, Graylin on the on the podcast are giving you kind of the roadmap as to to how to do that if you if you want to make that trip. And for whatever reason, a lot of Americans are, are resistant to that, but more and more are interested in in finding out uh, kind of the ways to do this, plan it on their own. Um, and 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 with the internet, I just don't think there's much excuse. Again, it's more work, but you're just going to have a more satisfying uh, trip if you listen to his shows and take his advice and go see some of the places that he's advocating, and uh, and then also just just uh, take in the, the the towns and 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 not just make these trips where you jump from. Uh, Carnoustie to play Turnberry the next day, which is exactly what I did on my oh, trip to Scotland. A lot of people do. Uh, a lot of people uh, do. Which is a common mistake. Is one of the things. And it's nice when somebody's driving you uh, in yeah. a van. <laughs> well, indeed, not everybody can afford that. No, that's right. Although Rue, I, I listened to your interview with Alan Shipnuck last night, who did the polar opposite of what you advise everybody who comes <laughs> to Scotland to do and set up a base: ten courses, six days, two oh. or three hour drives between each. So that was a fabulous listen. And there's. There's sort of something in that for some people. It's not for everybody, is it? But there's something in that. And he spoke very eloquently, I thought, and wrote very eloquently about that 2013 trip. It was, I think it was his 40th birthday present. But that, that is just one way to do it, and probably not the best way for everybody. Well, you know, whenever I get around to writing my uh, my first book on Scottish golf travel, that will be the, the one mistake that people make. Maybe chapter one is the first trip, and you just try and do it all, don't you? So uh, that was the perfect example of, I think it was ten rounds and nine top one hundred golf courses, uh, that 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 trip included, and it was all up the east coast of Scotland. And you know, there's something to be said about playing all these great golf courses, but there's also um, you know a huge part of me that says you need to sit and relax and try and take it in. And as Jeff discovered this summer in, in North Berwick, uh, whereas Alan drove off, I think to St Andrews, Jeff managed to enjoy the delights of going and the Glen Golf Club in North Berwick and there's just so much great golf courses that you'll drive by on a, on a tour bus and so much history to all these courses and great character and the members are always very warm and welcome to you so um, certainly that is the one mistake that people make and, and it's you can't really blame them but it's, it's a mistake if I'm honest uh, just to try and uh, slow down and take it in. Yeah, well, of course, and particularly for us from Australia here, Clates, it's a long way to Scotland, isn't it? And for a lot of people, they think if they go once, it may be the only time they get to go, and that is the temptation, isn't it? I'm sure you've spent a lot of time wandering around Scotland. Your thoughts on sort of golf in that part of the world and sort of what's Rue saying there about not rushing from one course to the next, but sort of taking the time to enjoy what you experience. Yeah, well, it is a long way, but in the end, it's only 24 hours in a plane. I'm always amazed you can go so far in such a short time. But I mean, I've played a lot there, I suppose, because I've finished up qualifying a lot for the British Open at places like Irving Bogside and Leven and um, the course down the road from Gullen, which name whose name escapes me. What's that one? Where you cross the road? Loughness, uh, maybe? Yeah, Loughness New, yeah. Yeah. So, and we played the Scottish Open at Glen Eagles, which was 
always one of the best tournaments on the tour. So there's and there's such a variety of golf over there, and it's you know as Lloyd Cole said when he came on the show, Lloyd, uh, I played Cruden Bay with John Hagen and Lloyd Cole a few years ago. So the, the one time I was there, but you know Lloyd came on and sort of spoke about his love of the second tier courses, just avoiding all the famous ones where you pay massive grand fees and go to places like Boat of Garten and Brewer and places like that that kind of need the money and need the tourists to play to keep them going, but they're such great places to play. Can you recall a day, Rue, a few years ago when the air turned blue over the golf course? That would have been the day that Clates was there with Huggin and Lloyd Cole, I'm sure the, mm. <laughs> the discussion would have been <laughs> open and frank about uh, all things golf. What about that notion, Rue, the, the second tier courses? I remember Lloyd saying that, and that was a really interesting idea. Is there something in that? Is there, a, is there a whole subculture of courses that we miss by focusing just on those that have hosted the Open and that are well-known to people? Yeah, and, and they're, they're the... I, I hate to kind of generalise them as second tier. Um, I guess that's that's one downside to the yeah. rankings, the top 100, is that they kind of group a course together and, and these courses and superintendents are working so hard to get in there for for vanity purposes really but yeah the second tier courses I think they, they offer so much and uh, and that was another reason why I, I guess this podcast came came about was I get looking at traditional media and, and obviously Jeff's involved in that and I wouldn't say lazy journalism but there was there wasn't a lot of effort to discover these lesser known courses and they're not going to get clicks and page views by uh, writing something that, you know a golf course in the middle of the, the highlands that nobody's heard about but um, I certainly think there there's an appetite there for people to to discover these hidden gems and and, and pay half the price and get in, you know an equal or, or better golf experience at the end of it. Mm. Well, one of the things you brought up there is one of the the great topics we like to discuss here: the media and the golf media. Of course, one of the reasons that the riders don't get to write about some of those other courses because generally those trips are hosted by somebody who's in the business of driving yeah. traffic to certain places, isn't it? And I mean, I don't know how you overcome that though, Jeff. Somebody's got to pay for something at the end of the day, doesn't it? I mean, we, we don't have advertisers on this show. We've sort of had dabbles in the past, but that becomes the issue, doesn't it? That <clears throat> as soon as you introduce the commercial side, you somehow taint the product you're producing, whether you want to or not, don't you? Yeah, and to make it, I think it's going to get worse because there's just uh, so little travel coverage now uh, and it's it's and what travel coverage there is, it's probably because it was paid for by a tourism board. And and uh, although I, I would say that, and I can't, I don't. Rue could probably speak to this, but I, you know, something like golf uh, East Lothian when um, certain people were running it uh, was actually doing what we'd hope it would do, which was trying to. Yes, they were trying to bring riders there to to show off their their places and and helping people get on courses, but they were they were not trying to steer people to just the big names. They want their their region to be recognized for all the different experiences, which is what's I don't know if they've been able to maintain that um, philosophy. But that was you know what turned me on to them, and and uh, uh, I just love that about them because it's they're really promoting more of a region now and that's what's cool about uh what what rue's doing is is explaining to people the the potential with all these different regions now to really set up in one area if you're if you're not trying to check off the list of of named courses because you really you have so many regions now where you can just uh set up for for a week and um and never leave your uh your uh, hotel rooms uh 
uh, luggage in the same spot and, and just have a much more enjoyable trip. Yeah, the appeal of that is enormous, isn't it, to, to not have to pack and unpack every single day oh. and put everything in the car. Rue, are there any figures? Uh, you, you've sort of touched on it there, and obviously the podcast has that Scottish golf tourism angle to it. Are there any figures that suggest what golf tourism might be worth to Scotland each year? Because that's something everybody understands, isn't it? When you put a, a dollar sign or a pound sign in front of people and say that's the value of people coming here each year, has that ever been done? Has it ever been tabulated in any reliable way that you know of? Yeah, the last figure from 2013, which suggests £220 million a year uh, towards the, you know, through, generated through golf tourism to Scotland. Mm. So, you know, huge. And I think it's something like 20,000 direct jobs as well. So, uh, you know, tourism's huge. As you said, the, the regions is really starting. East Lothian, Jeff, which you, you referenced, that was the, the first one, Golf East Lothian, Scotland's Gulf Coast. As you say, now there's five distinct regions which all promote, um, you know, their own own part of Scotland, and I think we'll touch on it. But Dornoch is the is probably or could be the next region which almost morphs um, yeah. away from the Highland region which it's promoted as at the moment um, with the the news of a, a potential Mike Kaiser development up there. Well, you've touched on it now, and you you've opened up something that we did want to talk about because, of course, I think it was two episodes ago on the podcast you wandered up to Royal Dornock and stumbled into the great man himself, Mike Kaiser, and his partner in a project for a golf course that is obviously publicly known now since you broke the story that they are hoping to build right next door to Royal Dornock. Tell us a little bit about the project and how you came to, um, and I'm sure it wasn't your intention when you started the podcast, but to break uh, an important golf story of 2015 on your podcast. Yeah, well, I was up playing Brora, which is, uh, we've, I think Mike have already said, uh, you know, it's a hidden gem, great golf course. And uh, during the, the visit there, I was meeting with um, a writer who's doing the equivalent of um, the Route 66, a new uh, a new route which covers 500 miles of the Scottish Highlands. And uh, I'd heard whispers of a course up uh, near Dornock and Mike Kaiser being involved. So... Um, my source on the ground took me to the site and um, just by chance uh, one late uh, late evening ran into Mike Kaiser and his um, his man on the ground there who will uh, who will lead the uh, the project Todd Warnock one of the, one of the investors and and um, hotelier in Dornock and yeah he, he shared the news obviously confirmed what I I'd thought and uh, the site itself is wonderful and uh, you know, Jeff and Mike can obviously talk about maybe the challenges of, or, or maybe the delights of st- coming across a site like that um, near Dornock. But the, um, I think what we were going to discuss today is just how minimal I think the plans are there. It's, it's going to be on golf and, and golf only. There's not going to be much infrastructure there. There's certainly no plans for a, a lavish hotel or even a clubhouse or any fancy waterfalls. It's it's very different to maybe another golf development which uh, happened uh, just down the coast in Aberdeen. <laughs> well, we might come to that a bit later as well. Uh, Clates, of course, um, well, I know you've, I'm sure you've met Mike Kaiser. He had an involvement early on at Barnboogle Dunes where you did as well. His legacy to the game is terrific, but that notion of less is more, no lavish clubhouse, very similar to what we see at Barnboogle Dunes in a way, a little bit of Bandon dunes there. He really hit on a winner with that. Didn't he focus on the give people what they want with the golf, and the rest doesn't actually matter. Yeah, I mean, great remote golf. If you can build great golf on great land in, in remote locations, which by definition is how the model works, because there is that's where you find cheap land. Mm-hmm. So you can make it work by not paying a fortune for the land. 
So, he, you know, he, sh- he showed that work at Bandon, it works at Bamboogle, it'll work at Cape Wickham, it works at Nova Scotia, I guess, the, the, the two courses up there that Cabot Lengthy's done. It'll, it'll work in Wisconsin and it'll work at Dornock because people know that when they go to things he does, they're all great. They're all, the, the golf is always going to be great. Mm. So, Rue, I, I'm not sure how far it is from the town, but I assume you just go to the starter's hut and pay your money and, and, and then walk back into the town if you want to drink or something to eat. Is that how it's going to work? Yeah, it's maybe just outside walking distance. It's, it's literally two minutes in, in a car. So it's yeah. uh, the only, I think it's two miles out of town. Uh, so, uh, you know, certainly uh, it's very close to, to Dornock and probably not as as remote as maybe some of his other projects. But uh, have you seen pictures of the site uh, yourself, Mike? And what was yeah. your thoughts on yeah. Yeah. Sort of the topography there? Yeah. What's the course going to be like then? Clates, Core and Crenshaw slated to do the course. Should it get approval? We must point out it hasn't yet got approval, obviously, but uh, should it go ahead with Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw at the helm? You'd expect something fairly special on that site, would you not, Clates? Why? Well, yeah, from the pictures I saw, it looked terrific. So they'll do a great job, no doubt. Mm. And I guess if they can get permits for what the next president did in Aberdeen, perhaps they can get permits up there, hopefully. Have they got the pool? Of the other developer, for <laughs> a better term? Well, you, you would hope so and you would think so. I mean, I mean, clearly he's got a track record of building successful minimalist golf all around the world. The model certainly seems a better fit for Scotland and Scotland golf, more importantly, Rue. It seems to it would be something that sits more comfortably in the landscape if they go ahead with what they've outlined than perhaps something very big and flashy and like Trump... Uh, Trump National, Trump International, Trump National, isn't it? Is it Trump? Yeah, Trump International, yeah, yeah, Trump Scotland, you can call it whatever, and maybe call it something else. Uh, but yeah, I think what I was uh, going to touch on with when I met Mike Kaiser was the willingness from them is to really work hand in hand with all the uh, public bodies to make it happen. And it borders uh, one of those triple um, SI, the environment protected areas, uh, which of course Trump International faced as well. But they certainly are willing to be uh, to compromise, and they have more than enough property there to build two two world class uh, links golf courses. But they're just going to settle with one and really work around some of the uh, sensitive areas of the property. But you couldn't pick a better golf club to work alongside than Royal Dornock, uh, a club that is very socially responsible, aware of the the money that it generates for the town. And, and one of the great examples of uh, a club that is uh, true to its roots in terms of making golf accessible for everybody and, and really this, the epicentre of the town. It's one of the, Scotland's great golf towns and uh, great golf clubs, which, of course, is cel- celebrating 400 years of uh, golf next, next year. So um, a, a great, uh, great club and uh, certainly great for the town. And uh, what, what I hope to be... Uh, a great benefit to Scottish golf tourism as well. Uh, it's all very exciting. And no pressure, Jeff, if you're designing the course next door to Dornock, is there? No pressure in that? <laughs> really difficult. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, that's, uh, that is arguably one of the most uh, enjoyable places on the planet to play golf. And the, the, the way the routing goes, and uh, it's, just, it's just so different with the holes where you go up and, and, and even though it's really, what is it? One, it's really only one hole on top, but it's just, I mean, everybody goes to Dornick. I've never heard somebody go there and not 
absolutely uh, be smitten with the place and in love with it. And uh, but I, I just I'm so excited though. More, uh, I think that I mean, there's it'll be hard to create something as good. But the idea that they have a model there that's going to be so restrained and um, just so respectful of of uh, the, the the area and not having a place where it's just a big tour bus drop off and and caddies and jumpsuits and um, a factory vibe is just going to be incredible. I think uh, I, ho- I really do hope it happens. But uh, yeah, tough neighborhood to build in and, and uh, tough expectations. Yeah. Is that model going to catch on? Do you think, Jeff? I mean, probably ten or fifteen years now we've been seeing. Well, Mike Kaiser has been very active in that way, and the bar- right bar googles and some of those projects. Are we seeing enough people see the value in doing a golf project that way rather than? start with a resort and or housing and fit a golf course in around it. Oh, sure. There are people trying to do it. It's just that Mike Kaiser has shown that he is sensitive to the quality of the architecture being the most important thing first and foremost, and not many developers are able to do that. And so there really haven't been any great copycats or people who have mimicked his model, plus that have just – you know, besides the vision, just the the ability to, to say no uh, and say yes at the right times. So I, I don't I don't see there being a lot of other Mike Kaisers, but um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that uh, that a few of them come along. He, he really is an important figure in golf, isn't he, Jeff? Historically, in 20, 30, 40 years, people might look back and say how important Mike Kaiser's been to the game through this period. Yeah, I, I would say architecturally, Pete Dye. We'll look. We'll look at him as the person who sort of brought back our awareness of links golf in the sense of uh, other architects and influencing architects who then, frankly, I believe, went on and created much better work than than his in terms of being courses that will last. And then I think developer-wise, really, uh, Mike Kaiser's right there with uh, you, you know Samuel Morse and Marianne Hollins at, at doing Cypress Point and Pebble Beach. And I mean, he he really is. People will look at what he did um, with uh, with great reverence and, and appreciation for his ability to sort of balance the, the need to, to to make a project work, but also to make it something that is special and something that is uh, sustainable and has a, a permanence to the architecture that makes people want to come back over and over again. And hopefully one day you'll come on the show. If you heard that, Mike, that's the sort of thing you'll get if you come on State of the Game. We're very we'd be happy to. Uh, to have you on to chat about stuff. In Scotland itself on the ground, Rue, um, obviously Scottish golf tourism being important and whatnot, but when you create international demand for a product uh, in a place like Scotland, you also have all sorts of impacts for local people. What's the Scottish golf scene like for the, what sounds like what you are, the average club member, daily, weekly golfer in Scotland? Are Scottish people playing all these courses as tourists as well, or is it beyond the budget? What's the the balance between tourism and and local golf in a place that's got such a strong golf culture? Yeah, you know, golf culture is still here. Uh, yes, friends or associates of mine want to play these golf courses as much as the international visitor does. I think Trump International actually gets quite a lot of its um, its, its traffic from domestic play in the. I guess the only fear with these uh, new golf developments, modern golf developments, is the increase in green fees. Um, there's, a, there's a sense from me that a lot of these 
these new developers are now competing with each other, a uh, bit of an arms race to who whose green fees the, the highest. And, and now Turnbury, of course, with its overhaul this this winter and, and set to open in June 2016, um, Mackenzie and Ebert, the architects there, the the 250 pound green fee, which uh, which the Aosa course has at the, at the moment, is only going to increase and. Uh, the £236 green fee at Kingsbarns for 2016 will only increase in the years to come. So that's my only concern. But you know, in t- terms of the state of the game in Scottish golf, it's certainly healthy and there's certainly uh, strong memberships. Uh, the, the drink driving um, changes and, and that's probably been a little bit of an impact in terms of the social scene around these golf clubs. Maybe not so many members are hanging around for a drink and a, oh, what's... Uh, and, and a bite to eat. What are you, what are you referring to? Flesh that out a little bit for, for us of us. Oh, sorry. Oh, us. Us in Australia, we understood that immediately, Jeff, because oh. it was exactly the same down here. Rue, explain to Jeff what that well, means. <laughs> yeah. So that the half pint of beer that guys had uh, after the rounds of golf is, is no longer encouraged. The the drink and drive laws changed, Jeff. So you know you, you couldn't really have hardly any alcohol. Mm, so okay. guys are just heading straight home after the rounds of golf. So there's not that really. Um, that environment in the clubhouses, you know, that's certainly waned in, in recent months and in, in, in seasons. So that's had an impact. But as I said, the, the actual um, memberships are all pretty pretty healthy and uh, the state of the game's good in Scotland. Yeah, aside from the pretty healthy membership, strong clates, Rue could be describing golf in Australia there, couldn't he? Just sort of a part of what a lot of people do in their week. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, Jeff, the drink driving thing was... Seemed like it was big here. I mean, I'm not sure why people felt the need to drive home drunk after golf, but it's, it, people always sort of mention that as one reason why clubs have fallen off. The, the, certainly, the profitability of the, the clubhouses. But is um, my question, Rue, would be, what should green fees be for golf? Is is like a hundred or hundred and fifty just the limit? Pounds, dollars, what? what Whatever you want to say, it just seems preposterous that people pay two hundred and fifty pounds for one round of golf. It just seems like a ridiculous amount of money to me. Pearl Beach is Pearl Beach, Jeff, five hundred or something of US dollars, or nearly a thousand by the time you've stayed on site, isn't it, Jeff? Which you have to do to guarantee a tee time. That was my last recollection. Four hundred for the green fee and six hundred for the cheapest room, something like that. Uh, at where? At Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach. Oh yeah, yeah. You have to. Uh, it's a two nights stay. Yeah, two I think nights. you have to. And right. it's five hundred and something. Yeah, no, it's a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I suppose it's a market question, but Rue, I suppose, to, to Clayton's question there, I mean, what the, the market, I suppose, eventually decides, don't they? Once your green fees are too high, then people stop playing. But what would you like to see? What, what's your sense of what people might be prepared to play for something that's considered a special golf experience? Well, well, these new modern courses are now, you know, surpassed the green fees of the, uh, the open water courses in Scotland. So, you know, it's just golf and golf course travel and golf courses generally are so subjective but you know i struggle to kind of understand why somebody would pay more to play a modern course as good as as, as enjoyable as kingsbarns is and uh, you know the old course Muirfield, Cardusti, they're all cheaper to, to play uh and then I don't know, yeah, Royal Aberdeen, one hundred and seventy pounds, Cruden Bay, a hundred pounds, uh, Presswick, right about a hundred pounds, you know, you know, maybe, I don't know, it's a very difficult question to answer, and I'm not, I'm not coming from a, a different golf culture, of course, uh, you know, U.S. golf is, 
it's so much more expensive typically yeah. to play, uh, Jeff. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but I certainly think perhaps uh, these modern golf courses are are maybe uh, outpricing themselves a little bit, and I don't expect that to change anytime soon. And and the basic membership model, really, you said you're a member at Cruden Bay. Is that an affordable thing for most people? Uh, it is here in Australia, should you decide to. I mean, it's not it's not nil. It's a significant investment, but it's affordable for most people should they decide to spend their income that way. Is that the case in Scotland too? Yeah, without a doubt, there's not really any any course that is uh, providing uh, a big uh, initiation fee, for instance. As a, as a junior member at Cruden Bay, I didn't have to pay an initiation fee. And I'm six hundred pounds a season to play a, a top one hundred golf course, Oof, which is, is which is so open, <laughs> which is open almost every day of the year. And we've got a driving Oof. range, we've got a, a nine hole golf course, uh, and we've got some not bad views either. So uh, yeah, can't complain. I think I think a lot of Americans just turned off, did they, Jeff? That's an unthinkable oh, so, proposition. So By the way. Rue, why did you say you're you're surprised at how much people love Cruden Bay, uh, especially Americans? You said that earlier. Why 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 did you say that? Well, as a teenager, you you just grew up playing golf there. You didn't really appreciate what. So I guess it was just a surprise to see mm. so many people come over, and you were just assuming this was just normal golf. This wasn't anything extraordinary. So uh, it was just, I guess, not being educated enough of of what Cruden Bay kind of means. In, in the world of golf, so I guess that's what I meant by that. Yeah, okay. A little bit like I think um, Jeff Ogilvie might have said the same thing to us. He grew up sort of around Royal Melbourne and Victoria and the Sandbelt, and there's just this sort of expectation that that's what golf is like. And it's not until you leave these shores and you go elsewhere and you see golf that doesn't look anything like that that you might appreciate what you've got, Rue. How's your own education on sort of golf course architecture and its importance to the enjoyment of and growth of the game. How's that come along through this process of doing the podcast and being involved in sort of Scottish golf tourism where you meet a lot of people from overseas? Yeah, it's certainly improved and the guests that I can have on like Jeff and Alan Shipnook and, and uh, some other architects and interesting people in the game uh, certainly helped and there's an interest there because Scotland is you know, fundamental in the growth of the game and the, a lot of the principles that were applied by people like old Tom Morris have been uh, replicated around the world. So I would say it certainly uh, certainly piqued my interest. And having people like Graylon Loomis, uh, who Jeff mentioned on the podcast with, with me, uh, he's a great source of, uh, of information and he's much more clued up in golf architecture than I am. But um, certainly interested uh, to read and hear the thoughts of people like Mike and Jeff. On um, on uh, you know golf architecture, which uh, continues to evolve in Scotland as well. Yeah. And how's that affected your own enjoyment of the game, perhaps? Because it's something you hear people say sometimes that they're not interested in golf course architecture, but then they'll tell you they like this hole more than oh, that. Oh yeah, which, we give it the yeah. Which the by definition, chair architect, that's right, you must critique. have an interest. What about your own enjoyment of the game, uh, Rue? Have you found that's changed at all? from being interested in the way courses are For me, it's made golf less enjoyable at a lot of places than it used to be. <laughs> to give you an honest answer, I don't think I'm quite clued up enough yet to, to have that affect my game. I, I, enjoy, uh, I enjoy the traditional aspects of the game. Uh, I embrace the blind, ass, blind shots and, and the links nature of these courses. So to be honest, I don't think I'm 
quite quite knowledgeable enough yet to have an impact on my game, and my game's certainly not good enough to be affected by any anything. Yeah, I'm in exactly the same boat with both of those things, but I can't help but sometimes be playing a golf course and think, what would Clate say about this? Yeah, this isn't as fun as I thought it should be. Uh, it's just one of the spin-offs of spending too much time with people who know too much about the game. What sort of feedback have you had from sort of those that you've had on the show from listening for a lot of people, I know it was for me, and I'm sure it has been for others, for a lot of people, a trip to go- Scotland to play golf, we've talked about it, it's a spiritual journey. Even if some people didn't intend it to be, it's a, it becomes a pilgrimage and really has an effect on people, doesn't it? Yeah, and some of the some of the great episodes have been from people that have really, you know, it, it's been a, a spiritual experience for them and they've managed to share it. And the beauty of golf, of course, is that you're sharing it with people that, that you tend to like. So it's uh, close friends or it's family. And I think Scotland is, is probably uh, the most point. point um, and uh, I guess it would evoke so much emotion for people coming to Scotland. And uh, that has certainly helped paint the picture for people when they come on the podcast and share their experiences uh, in in a way that other golf destinations might not, so uh, it cer- certainly helped. I don't know if you I don't know if you guys uh, agree with that. Yeah, well, those are some of my favorite shows you've done, where you get to kind of hear somebody's take on their trip and and what it meant to them and what they got out of your show or different uh, things they researched and 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 then their expectations of certain places and then how they how they overwhelm them, you know, actually getting to be at St Andrews or whatever it is. Um, I love that when you when you you know that's the beauty of your show and mm. kind of having that uh, nice variety of guests. It's uh, very enjoyable listening. But and of course, Jeff, uh, one of the themes not that, everybody can try that. No, that's true. But one of the things that Rue always uh, comes back to on the show is this notion of basing yourself somewhere and enjoying not just the golf, but yeah. Scotland itself. We always talk about the golf in Scotland. It is amazing, but the place and the people are phenomenal as well. You don't you don't want to zip through Scotland in a car and miss all of that. No, I think that's what's neat with what Rue and Graylin have been talking about a lot. And I think where we're going to see a big change because, you know, I, I've, golf is uh, always about five years behind everything else when, when it comes to technology and media and um, just trends in general. And right now in the United States, we, we are having such a an incredible change in the way people view things. Um I mean, take beer, for example. Like, all the major beer brewers are buying all these craft breweries. The the writing is on the wall. The big corporate uh, beer is is done. It's people are just – beer drinkers are going to go to stuff that's got some – a nice backstory to it, even if it's owned by, you know, a $100 billion company. And I think in golf, you're going to see the same thing with – especially with places like golf and Scott, really just mostly Scotland, but elsewhere – to a lesser extent, you're going to see people wanting to take that trip that that Rue outlines, that, that we talk about, that you hear the people he has on the show talk about, where they set up shop in a place and they, they really experience the town, every kind of golf experience, not just the name brand courses. And they go, you know, they want to know about the cool dining experience, the fun pub to go to. I, I just would be shocked if that trend just doesn't continue, at least for the American tourists. I don't know about, I can't speak for Australians and elsewhere, mm. but that's my sense. And, and that's why I think what Rue's doing is great. I just wonder if he gets like, you know, hate mail or dirty looks from tour uh, operators <laughs> uh, because he, I, I think what he's doing is great. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's where things are trending. Rue, any hate mail? 
No, in fact, the the podcast is certainly not discriminating against guys that would travel with a tour operator, and there's a lot of value to be had by traveling with a, a golf tour operator, potentially, you know, on your first trip, for instance. You can drink after the round, for instance, <laughs> and then somebody else drives. Uh. Yeah, yeah. So there's certainly uh, there's certainly been no animosity there, and in fact. What I'm doing is bringing more attention to Scotland, and uh, that can't be harmful for these these tour operators, uh, some of which I've worked with in the past. So, uh, a question I had perhaps for Mike, uh, given his experience uh, in the professional scene and, and now in, in architecture, and to shy away from his uh, English golf tourism uh, efforts, <laughs> uh, what what are some of your favourite golf? experiences to be had in, in Scotland. You touched on Brora and I'd be keen and I'm sure the listeners would be keen to hear some of your must plays uh, or must stays in Scotland. Well, I mean they're going to be the obvious ones I suppose but Brora and Dornock I took me forever to get up there. I didn't go there when I was playing the tour but I got up there I don't know a few years ago and loved it. I went out there with Huggy and you know it seems like the road is makes the the, the, the town much more accessible from St Andrews than it ever was before. But, I mean, North Berwick's obviously great. I played my first qualifying for an open at Gullen number two, which apart from that horrific third hole was pretty good fun, my memory of it. But, I mean, yeah, Muirfield's a great place to play. I've been out there often late at night with no one out in the golf course. It's one of the most beautiful places you can play golf. The old course is the most interesting golf course in the world, so everyone should play there more than once and understand it. But, yeah, you know, I, I love playing the Kings Course, the Glen Eagles. I thought that was a it was yeah. a tremendous place. To, it was a beautiful place to play golf. I, I, I went out and played the Queens Course one one night during the tournament. Had a great time out there. You know, I, we all remember Seve, the, the, the guys who played the tournament. And Seve would go out on that little course outside the hotel and pitch and putt with the Spanish guys after the after the day was finished. And you know, it's places like that. there were the Boat of Garden, I remember walking around there. We were driving back from somewhere. We just stopped off and walked around the golf course. And apart from upsetting one member by getting in his road, sort of, we were 400 yards away, but somehow we were in his road. He got a bit upset. But, um, no, the Montgomery, yeah. was it? No, sorry. <laughs> but a be- you know, it's a beautiful. And of course, Jeff, um, the, the Hickory course, King Garrick, which was. King Garrick, that was yeah, so a, fun. Yeah. We had a great so time good. playing there. So, did, you with, did you play with Jeff Ogilvy there? You we did, yeah. Jeff's great comment was, how much more fun is it walking 200 yards before you play a next shot than is walking yeah. 300 yards? And, and you both said, we're not sure, but we'll take your word for we, it. Yeah, we were back at 180 <laughs> if we could really right. get one. Never actually walked 300 yards to pick up a golf shot, Jeff, but yeah, I'm it, sure it's lovely if you can do that sort of thing. Hmm. So, so the, you know, there, there are so many great places. And, and it's such a beautiful place to drive through. I mean, I love driving in Scotland. It's a be- you know, it's just never-ending fascination in the countryside and how beautiful it is. So it's a beautiful place to drive, to golf, to, to play. And Is the intangible that it's hard to put your finger on with all of that, Clates, golf in Scotland? And I, a long time ago I was there, but I, you can still almost feel it to this day. The intangible is something to do with, I don't know, his soul might be the right word. The place, the place and the courses and the places have soul. Does that make sense? There's a feeling about golf in Scotland, which I've not really experienced elsewhere. Well, again, I, I think Jeff Ogilvy summed it up best when he said you could go to the pub at North Berwick and everyone in the pub, everyone knew that the, the, the you know the wind was off the left on the 14th today, so you had to that sort of shot. And you, you know, it's a it, it's a unique place when it comes to the game of that. But the fact that everyone in the pub would know how the 14th was playing because of where the wind was that day, and you could talk about it. And 
So, yeah. so that, that's kind of summed up the spirit of Golfton. Yeah. Anyway. And in fact, it's likely as it was it. Uh, what's the what's the pub across the road from the 18th at St Andrews, Jeff? What's it called? McSawley's. Um, Dun Vegan. You mean the yeah the Dun Vegan, or do you mean the there's a pub, pub in the uh, no there's uh, a pub. Sure, it was called McSawley's when it Russex? changed names. Anyway, but I, I, I distinctly recall that uh, the girl serving behind the bar played off four. And that's the sort of oh. thing you don't get at a lot of places, no. isn't it? Where you know everybody's immersed in the game. Rue, are they yeah. just bunging that on for the sake of international tours, or is that really the case with these golf towns in Scotland, where really it is a part of everybody's life? No, well, you've got two reasons why that is the case. One, because the golf tourism stimulates the town, so everybody's got a self-interest there, and probably more importantly is the golf culture. So you know, I mentioned how much I pay for a membership there. It's accessible from an early age right through. There's not very many barriers to, to playing golf and, and certainly no cliques or anything. So you could be a working class man or you could be a successful uh, um, lawyer or, or whatever and, and be in the same status of, of club. So uh, that would be the two main reasons. And, and I think, um, you know, great golf towns, uh, as, as I, you mentioned, the kind of intangible nature of, of golf in Scotland and it's, it's these great golf towns, I think, which are the people uh, in those, in, in Royal Dornock, uh, sorry, Dornock, St Andrews, North Berwick, you won't get three better examples of that, um, all of which I'm sure the, the guys on the podcast have enjoyed, um, and, and I, I can't recommend enough spending a couple of days in, in each one uh, on, on different golf trips, I must add. Yeah, well, this is the point. You want to get people to come back. <laughs> you don't just do one golf trip to Scotland. You must come back a couple of times. And I think anybody who's been there probably realise that. I suppose the other thing, Jeff, is that when you go to Scotland, you know almost everywhere you play, you are walking in the footsteps of the very best players the game has ever known because even at the very top levels of the game, the players make an effort to go and see some of the courses. Well, maybe previously more so, but uh, most of them have made the effort to go and see some of the great courses of Scotland, haven't they? even if there's not a tournament on there that week. Yeah, although I, interestingly, lately I've, I've sensed something different uh with people and and yeah we used to think a lot about that and how how great is it to walk uh where everybody every great player in the 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 world has walked and you still get that obviously with people taking photos on the swilkin burn uh, bridge and um and there is that sense at saint andrews but i don't i don't know just how much people realize uh, what went on at these places where they're at, and you know, I, I was I was talking. Two different things came to mind. I was talking to some people with a, a, a golf club manufacturer, and I was telling them about Musselboro, and that you know, I, I pulled up a map. I go, now this street was like the Carlsbad uh, of of golf. You know, the original. I was like trying to make it relatable to them. I said there were multiple shops. There were there were there was competition. There was a vibe. The parks were competing against you know the the uh, Forgan and 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 it kind of like really like that 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 kind of thing went on back then you're like yeah it was pretty amazing and then and then when I was at Golf Channel recently we were and and the, the Dunhill was being played and it was at St Andrews and I said look we are sitting here today talking about golf and we work in this world that's related to golf because of old Tom Morris and the people in Scotland and what went on there and, and the things that they knew they were kind of onto something um, and that they worked to build and, and make better. And I just don't think a lot of people really realize how much has happened at these places and how 
many little sagas and dramas and interesting things went on and arguments about course designs and what is good golf and and all the things. I mean, man, just talking about old Tom Morris and his shop and what his shop meant to the game. Uh, that C.B. McDonald went in there and, and old Tom Morris was nice to him and gave him a locker. And then, you know, C.B. McDonald came back and kind of founded Golf in America. And, and so it's, it's trying to understand the, the gravity of the place. You know, you don't want to lecture people and bore them with speeches. But when you kind of have that sense of this and you're going there and this is part of your life, this culture of golf, it's really, uh, you know, it's really special. And it, it adds another element to it all. And and I think the people who do partake in that, even just a little bit of history, you don't have to go on long tours and read every book. But when you read a little something and you, you know going there what this place means to the game, it just makes everything so much more satisfying. It was so, and that's another thing Rue does on his show nicely is, is touch on some of those, those elements of golf in Scotland. Do you- do you think, Rue, that some of those things, people start to realise some of those things and take more of an interest and do some research when they get home after going to Scotland? I know coming from Australia, when we went, well, 1997 it was, God, that's a long time ago, I better come over there fairly soon and, uh, and have, a, have another go at golf in Scotland. But having been there, you couldn't help but come home and be interest, more interested in the history of the game, which is in fact very interesting. I think people sort of get to school and go, history, boring. But it's not, is it? The history yeah. of golf is fascinating. Epic exhibition matches for huge sums of money with massive crowds. I mean, these guys were almost gladiators, weren't they? It's, it's, hmm. You stand on those courses and imagine those scenes. It's phenomenal stuff. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I don't want to bore your listeners by talking about technology again. That's our but we job. Talk about, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not, it's not the golf technology. Don't worry. Uh, Jeff touched on about the evolution of media, and I think... I'm excited at the potential of uh, virtual reality coming into tourism a lot more. Could you imagine not even wearing Google Gla- um, Glass type goggles, but you know, if you could have somehow maybe a contact lens is showing you what the courses looked like in the in the 1900s when there was hundreds of people following around, you know, the, the parks against uh, Tom Morris and Aaron Robertson. Could you imagine the kind of experience you could have when you're playing the golf course, kind of seeing uh, you know the virtual reality of what golf used to be like used to be like um, you know a couple of hundred years ago i think that would be that'd be quite something and, and certainly uh would engage a lot more people in the history of of the game in scotland well as, as kramer once said on seinfeld route you're freaking me out i can't <laughs> i can't imagine that's a that's an extraordinary notion jeff I, i'd be all over that i think that would be a marvelous addition to the game wouldn't it it would be it would be interesting. I although I yeah I do encourage people when they go there to just uh, take in the the, the the surrounds and the setting and not look at the, the take too many photos. Although I'm so guilty of all that. I mean, especially at the <laughs> old course, you. it's How impossible you. That's right. when you go around the old course not to take a photo of everything and to, to you know pose for a photo. And then that's fine. That's I think that's great. People should do that uh, because that's that's saying they know they're somewhere really sacred and. Um, that's how people do it today. You know, they used to buy postcards and send a postcard to somebody. Now they take a photo and put it on Instagram. So, uh, people have always had a, a need and an interest to to want to do that. I just, uh, but I, I, you know, way making history interesting is is difficult, and uh, so something like that would be amazing. You know, the British Golf Museum, by the way, has been updated across from the uh, first tee at the the old course, and they've tried to do a few interactive things and. It was interesting for me watching people 
seeing what things captivated them in the uh, collection. And uh, I never quite know what what uh, what'll get people's attention with golf history. But the one thing I do know is if they knew what interesting characters these people were, uh, I think they'd be pretty enthralled by uh, hearing more about old Tom or Alan Robertson uh, or the parks for sure. Well, they were the, the they were the titans of the game, weren't they, Clades? Long before we had Greg Norman or Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods, they were the titans of the game and equally big in celebrity for their time as any of those modern and, players. And when's the new movie out about the Morrises, Young Tom and Old Tom? Really, you might know they just finished filming that movie, correct? Yeah, I know they finished filming. Uh, they were doing a lot of the filming on the castle course. Uh, oh, No. <laughs> No, we were going oh, so well. Oh, You've upset don't me. Don't tell me <laughs> that. Oh, that's so yeah. awful. Yeah, oh, there were some special effects involved, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not too sure, Mike. But uh, I, I, someone said maybe the tail end of 2016. But um, that that's going to be great again. If you're looking at tapping into millennials and and people that weren't really aware of the history, that that feature is going to certainly bring uh, more more eyes to to uh, Scotland and, and the history of the game. So yeah, uh, certainly look out for that. Great stories are great stories, aren't they, Rue, no matter when they happen. And that's what movies tell is great stories. And the Morris' story is one of the great stories. Uh, no question about that. As I said to you before we started, Rue, an hour will be gone before we know it. An hour is already gone. And I know Jeff's got things to do and we've all got to get moving. I don't feel like we've scratched the surface, but it has been fantastic having you on the podcast today. I really hey, appreciate uh, you taking the time. Oh, sorry, hang on, hey, Jeff. Well, no, before we say goodbye to him, Rue, mm. if somebody is new to your mm. show and uh, – what could you tell us just a few episodes, or maybe even just uh, tell me a few episodes? I'll put it in my blog post that you think would be good, good ones you're proud of. That would be a good uh, way to kind of because you've recorded a lot of shows now at this point. What more than I? Uh, pl- yeah, playing catch up would be tough. So if there's maybe a handful, uh, five to ten that you would say are the ones that are sort of the ones you're most proud of, uh, would be well, great to share. Know, I think with people. Yeah, I'm not gonna, not gonna, you know just because it's you but i certainly think our first interview together jeff was a great one uh that was that was one of my favorites the john ashworth when he talked about living and going and you know shortly after he uh he sold out uh his share in ashworth he uh he uh moved to to Gullen for a year and enjoyed the the delights of of that and um, i think Pre um, pre Royal Aberdeen twenty fourteen Scottish Open, I interviewed a gentleman who played uh, Royal Aberdeen Trump International in Croonan Bay in the same uh, same day and was done before mm. seven p.m. That was that was good fun. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favourites. Uh, there was a few of the gentleman from uh, I think it was Minnesota. Um, you interviewed about his trip when I think he went with his dad. Uh, oh yeah, shoot, yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, that was a father-son trip, and they played. Um, they played a club competition up in the in the Murray area. Yeah. Castle Stewart, uh, and also, of course, our our friend from uh, Golf Club Atlas, uh, Rand Morissette. Yeah, that Rand was. Rand Morissette. Good, yeah, very yeah, good he discussion. Was great. Yeah, I enjoyed that. So he he was great, and there's so much more planned as well. Some really good yeah. things coming. Up. So. Oh, good. Uh, Can I make one uh, suggestion? I, yeah. I really like the one you did with the couple who went, and she was a non-golfer and he was a golfer from America, and I right. thought that was fantastic listening. Uh, uh, you know, listening from the golfer side of things and just how they 
dealt with that whole trip, which could have blown up in their faces, frankly, but didn't. They both had a great time, and I thought <laughs> that was a fabulous episode uh, and one of the more interesting ones I thought to listen to, so I'd certainly yeah. recommend that as well. Yeah, any opportunity to get females on the show, I, I would be uh, open to, so uh, that's, uh, I'll take that on, on board. <laughs> well, maybe we should, Tom, just thinking while you're saying it, I don't think we've had a lady on the show yet. Uh, yeah, 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 let's, let's, let's yeah, I just realized, I started yeah. doing the same uh, <laughs> yeah. checklist and went, ah, no, no, yeah. We're, no, no, we're, suitably, we're suitably ashamed of ourselves. Right, okay, we're now at the hour, so uh, anything else, Jeff, anything else, Mike? Uh, no. I have Bob Harrison course going at Jura. Oh, yes. Yeah, well. The that that course uh, is I'm sure you've seen the images the same as I have, and that's getting a lot of interest just through a, a very short thing I wrote on my website. There's there's interest in that, and there's a lot of uh, unknown about that golf course. It's um, an Australian billionaire, I believe, who's yeah. who's behind yeah. that. And uh, is it on his private estate? Is that the story? Yeah. 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 So we. Do we, do we know if it's going to be we'll, – we'll, we'll get Bob on the show, Mike, and we'll ask him about it. It's a bit unfair to put Rue on the spot there. Yeah. Well, no, not unfair, but uh, – No, I just wondered if he knew how it was going or – I spoke to Bob yeah. two weeks ago. He said it was almost done, did he not? Does that sound right, Rue? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously but he'll be able to comment, but it sounds like maybe it could be a little bit of a private playground for this uh, for this chat, which would be unfortunate. There's also a, a great development happening in our, our redevelopment uh, and uh, restoration of the Macri course in Iowa. So, you know, there's another golf destination that's kind of coming. Uh, you know, in the years to come, you could look at having a a remote West Coast uh, Scottish golf islands trip with uh, the likes of the Macri and possibly Jura. You've got Surskin on Arran, Askernish, and you've got so much great golf to be had over on the on the remote West Coast uh, of mm. Scotland. So. And, yeah, there you go. There's a whole other episode there. So, as I said, I don't think we've touched on even a tenth of what we could talk about. It has been great to have you, Ru. We'll let you go now. Appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. And Thanks, Ru. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you to you too, Jeff. Always good to get your thoughts and input, particularly on a place that you're so fond of in Scotland. Yeah, and I highly recommend Ru's show for anybody. You don't even really have to be planning a trip there. It's just uh, great listening if you're uh, interested in this, kind of the state of golf in Scotland and golf travel in general. Absolutely, and if you're not planning a trip, once you've listened to a few episodes, you can't help but start thinking, well, gee, maybe I should plan it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with dreaming. Just because you can't maybe go right now if you don't have the money, It's there's nothing wrong with dreaming about it and hearing about it. You won't, you won't, Ru, Ru won't make you feel bad. He'll no. make you feel good. Uh, informed and and intrigued by the whole thing because it's a pretty special place. Absolutely, well, and Clay's always great to have you aboard. Thank you for taking some time today Thank as well. Enjoyed it. Yep, and as did I, and as I hope you did as well. And that wraps up. I think episode did I say sixty two? State of the game. We're not even in Roos class. I think he's into the seventies, and he's been going half the time we have. But sixty two episodes of State of the Game. Looking forward to your company again on episode sixty three in a couple of weeks here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.